Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? You guys good? Come on. You look great. And we're so glad to see all of you guys who are with us online joining us right now. Can we give those guys a hand? Everybody welcome you guys. Thank you so much for being with us here. Um, It's a great day to be in God's house for so many reasons, but number one, it's way cooler in here than it is out there. Can I get an amen from somebody? The heat is oppressive, all right? So if you're new here to San Antonio, my apologies. I don't know what else to say. We get no rain and it's hot all the time, so you're welcome to our town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to just say a couple things. Last week, um, there was a team of us, 26 of us, who were in Costa Rica on a mission trip. And for, in my estimation, it was the best one we've ever had. Um, we had so many great people that came, so many people that we'd ne- I never had met before. And it was an amazing trip. And what we saw, what we got to do, what we left behind in terms of what we built, um, the impact I feel like this church made um, was really significant. And, and if you went, would you just slip up your hand? I know there are some of you here in the room. Yeah, a lot of you. Thank you guys so much for going. Thank you. Thank you. It made such a difference. And uh, those of you who gave to anybody or any part of that, thank you as well because you're making a difference. Next year, we're gonna go on probably four trips, Costa Rica, Honduras, the Philippines, um, for sure. And it's, uh, we hope that you'll get excited. This church is not just about this community. We are about our community first and foremost, but we are about global missions. And we are, um, we're dreaming of days where we send missionaries from this church out into the uttermost parts of the world and they bring the gospel. And in fact, right now, there is a young man from this church whose name is Hunter and he's in the Ukraine uh, right on the front lines and he is shedding the gospel right now, right now. And, and by the way, When you give, you're supporting people like that. Hunter is being supported in part by this church. Um, And there's another guy going out this week um, uh, to to, to Ukraine to do missions work. And and we're going to help. We are helping him as well. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having a heart for for the whole world. Amen, everybody? Um, I'm going to wrap up a series today that we've been on for the last six weeks. We called it Summer, uh, Songs of Summer. And we've been in the studying, we've been studying the book of Psalms. Um, the song you just heard was directly from Psalm 46, which is where we're at. And by the way, band, pa- Brandon, thank you guys. That was such a beautiful song, man. Such a beautiful song. Give it up for them, would you? Wow, so, so good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, Psalm 46. I'm just telling you, when you bring your Bibles, your actual physical Bibles, um, they're made out of paper. I, I know a lot of people don't know what that is anymore, but it's an actual product that gets, it's a byproduct of trees and whatnot. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, they're like, this guy's sarcastic. A little bit, a little bit. Um, uh, it hits differently. Messages will hit differently um, when you're able to write or highlight and make notes. I, I would always encourage you to do that. I, if you were looking in your Bibles, you would see that Psalm 46 begins um, for the director of music or the sons of Korah according to Alamoth, which is most likely a style of, of song and instrumentation. And then it says a song. And, and just real quickly, I really, um, you ever hear the term geek out or nerd out on something? Um, 
Well, when it comes to the Bible, there are a few of you who are like me that you kind of want to geek out. You like want to go, oh, this is so good. I want to tell everybody everything that's a part of it, but um, I have to refrain, okay, because uh, I preach too long as it is. Um, if, if you're new here, my apologies ahead of time. The sons of Korah were, a cl- were, were like a musical guild. Um, they, were, they were of the tribe of Levi. They were Levites. By the time of David, they were the worship leaders, if I could use that phrase. It's a little bit oversimplified, but they were kind of the worship leaders for the nation of Israel. They would have sung this song uh, in the, the tabernacle, um, in, the, in, in, the, in the community of believers. Um, uh, and this psalm is a declaration of faith. Um, but what makes it unique from other declarations of faith is that it is written during a season of tremendous upheaval in the nation of Israel. We don't know exactly the circumstances, but most people think there was a foreign invader that was waging war against them, the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. They were attacking them while he was writing this, which makes this psalm all the more powerful in my mind because it's one thing to declare God's faith and greatness when things are well, Um, but to declare them not after the storm has passed, not after the trial is over, but during it, but in the middle of great pain and anguish and trial to say and to to declare my faith is still in you, God, and who you are and what you're all about, um, that's something. And that's what we're gonna see in this psalm. The psalm was written to an ancient group of people who are facing very different problems than you and I are right now but the message is very, very relevant to who we are, where we're at right now. It's a song of Zion, one of six in this category, meant to, a song meant to celebrate the city of Jerusalem. Psalm 46, verse one. I wanna just start like this. Our God is, I'll read this in a minute. God is. Like if I was just to stop and preach that for about 20 minutes, I don't, I don't think I could exhaust it. God is. Um, the Lord of all. God is the creator of heaven and earth and all of the universe and everything that's in it. God is hope. God is love. God is peace. God is fill in the blank. God is almost anything that you could possibly ever hurt, need, or want for. God is. And the psalmist gives a clarifying statement about what God is to him. He says, God is our refuge and, say it with me, and our strength. Um, now, it's interesting to me that he starts this way. M- many of the psalms that are psalms of please help us kind of psalms start with the, the crisis, the problem, but th- this psalmist doesn't do that. This psalmist, who is a, one of the sons of Korah, he, he starts not focusing on the crisis, but focusing on God's greatness, God's provision, the goodness of God, which are w- not, instead of the problems, which are looming large, I think there's something that we could learn from that, that instead of going to always crying to God with our problems, what if we just started with going, God, you already know, so I just wanna start with your greatness. And this is why Jesus, when he prayed, said, our Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He got to the stuff later that we, he wanted to pray about, but he taught them to start first the greatness of God. I think it's, I think it's a lesson that we learn right out of, of the mid- middle of it. And he says our God is a refuge, which is a shelter, which is a, a safe place, it's a sure place that you run to. I don't know 
if you've ever been outside when the heavens open up, not here because we don't have rain apparently. Can I get, y'all had one drop of rain, but we were all in Costa Rica where it rained every second of every day. Come on, somebody. Like they, had all, they get all the rain. Come on, we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 63, by the way. I'll preach that next year. Come on, right? But if you've ever been in a place where it actually does rain, if you've ever been out in the open and it just pours, you run, right? It's like it's battery acid being dropped from the sky. Oh, dear God, don't let it get on me, right? Come on, little kids, they run out into it. Adults, we run from it, right? We will run for any kind of shelter. But what the psalmist is saying is that God is not just any kind of shelter. He is our shelter. He is our refuge. And, and not, just, not just our refuge, but he is our strength. And particularly for this psalmist, he is the source of strength for the moments that, are, that feel unget-throughable. I just made up a word. Like, like how am I going to get through this? I know, I know that everybody's in a good space in your life. None of you are in moments where you feel like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, but some of you have been there. How am I gonna get through this moment? How am I gonna face up to this loss, this devastation, this heartbreak? And the psalmist says our God is the source of strength for those moments that feel unget-throughable. So not only is he a place of shelter, but he is a source of strength. Meaning that there are moments in life where you say, I don't have any strength left to face up to what is being done in, in, in my life. And, 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 and Paul would say later that, that his strength is made perfect in our what? You remember? In our weakness. That, that in those moments where it's like, I, I don't have anything left that somehow God's strength infuses us in those moments and those seasons to get through um, what get, feels unget-throughable, which is, which is, by the way, how people that you've seen, people that you know, have faced up to the, the seemingly worst possible things that can happen to human beings and have retained their joy and their peace and their faith is intact. Why, how? Because they found shelter and strength in their God. This is how it happens, everybody. Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength. And then notice this line. He is a, say this with me, a very present help in trouble. And how beautiful, everybody, is that line right there. In fact, I would argue this is one of the great lines in all of the scriptures. He is a very present help in, in trouble. Like, I don't, I don't know um, if that does anything to you, but as I've been reflecting on this text all last week in Costa Rica and then here this week, as I reflect on it, it would just literally sometimes would just, I would feel overwhelmed by this notion that, and, and the, I think the reason why it's important that I drill down here a, a minute is that sometimes in life, those of you who've lived a minute, you know, there will be moments and there will be seasons where you think God isn't very near. He isn't very close. I've prayed, I asked, I begged him and I felt nothing. In, in fact, I wonder if, if, if we could just have real talk for a minute 
Anybody ever felt that before? Where, where are you at, God? Come on, a couple of honest folk in the house. Not shaming the rest of us. You just haven't been there yet, right? Um, he is a very present help. In moments where it feels like he's not there, the psalmist says it's not true. In fact, I think it's Acts 17, maybe verse 27, Paul is preaching at the Areopagus and he's telling the people about this God which they call the unknown God and he says, and and he's not far from any one of us. That in him we live and we move and we have our being. He says this and he says, he's close. In fact, he's he's very close, but he's he's not just close, he's also, the word is present, Right, um, I, I don't know about you, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I, I try to do my best, I'm not always right, I don't always get it right, I know that. But, but honestly, there are moments where I'm close to my family and that I'm, I'm in proximity with them in the same room, but I'm not present. My mind is elsewhere, ruminating on this or that, or the problems that are coming up, or I'm thinking about something else. I'm, I'm, I'm close, but I'm not present, but thank God, God is not like me. You can say amen. Thank God he's not like you, Danny, brah. You know what I'm saying? I, I get it, I feel you, right? He, he's close, but he's also very present, meaning he pays attention. He's, he's in, he, he intuits what's going on in your heart and your life. He knows. He not only sees the great picture of the universe, but he sees the granular details that are part of your life and, and mine. And the word present also means proven. In fact, if you look at some translations, it'll say just that. Instead of a very present, it'll say a very proven help, meaning, meaning that, that he has a track record of helping his people, that if you read the Old Testament, it's hard to believe how amazing our God is, and, and I'm betting that if you were to go into the memory bank of your own life, your own experience, your own journey, you would find the same things true, that, that in the moments where you go, I don't know if you're here, if you'll just look in the rearview mirror of your own story, you'll find that he was a very present help in all of your troubles. And this word trouble here isn't just little trouble. It's not like I lost my keys, which I did today already. Come on. Those of you who are not here on Wednesday nights, you don't know this, but, but my, my, the, 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 the temperament that I am is, is sanguine and the color is yellow. And folk who are yellow like my, me, we struggle to keep track of anything. Come on, yellow people, unite. Right, help us... Like I even have a little air tag on my keys to help me find it and I couldn't find it. It just said it was here in the building. I know that. (laughs) Where? Ring. Not that kind of trouble, everybody. Like real trouble. Shake you down to your core trouble. The, The word in the Hebrew has a sense of confinement. Dire straits. I'm trapped. There's no wiggle room to get out of this. That, that kind of trouble to keep you up at night, give you insomnia kind of trouble. Do you feel me? Like, could, 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 be, could be inner struggles, depression, anxiety, chronic fear, something external like there's chaos in your life, there's loss, there's relationship issues, there's financial troubles. It could be global like national troubles or, or acts of nature, that kind of trouble. In fact, in this psalm, we're gonna see nature and nations rising up against the people of God. We're gonna see both of those things. But in either case, he's there, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, verse two, therefore, in light of that truth, in light of the theology that is verse one, therefore, we will not fear. 
We will not fear. In light of the fact that God is, in light of the fact that God is our refuge and our strength and that he's a very present help in times of trouble, the natural conclusion to that is we will not fear, everybody. And he's gonna give the proper conclusion to that theology. But this isn't just a faith declaration. It's an exhortation to his nation, which is most likely being attacked. And and this isn't the psalmist just saying to himself, hey, I'm not gonna fear. Notice it's plural. We, the people, we will not fear. Though nations rise up against us, though famine comes, though war happens, no matter if it's nature, the forces of nature, or the forces of nations, we will not fear. Now, you're going, okay, that's all neat, Danny. I like that. That's a neat little thing you got going on. Wait a minute, because he's not done. He's going to give, he's going to give clarity to the kind of things they won't be afraid of, and here's what he says. And by the way, these next words are probably metaphorical. Um, they're probably, he's talking about the forces of nature, but most likely, because he's going to talk about the forces of nations rising up against them, most likely these are the same thing. He says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. That's scary. I don't even know what that means, but that's scary. Come on. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, seems like plenty of good reasons to totally freak out, yes or no. Some of y'all been in, anybody ever been in an earthquake before? Come on, I know Jamal has. Where's Jamal? Jamal, you've been there last year, in, two years ago in Costa Rica. Jamal came running out. I'm not going to say how he came running out of his room <laughs> in Costa Rica. But it's funny. <laughs> sorry, Jamal. Jamal, sorry. He's like, I'm just, I'm just ushing over here, man. It, it's not fun to be in an earthquake. Let's videotape it. No, let's run for our lives. He's using his imagination. Maybe this is stuff he's experienced before. I don't know. But he's conjuring up massive earthquakes that, that, that make tsunamis and such. But when he uses the term mountain sliding to the sea, he's likely talking about, about nations, the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. In fact, maybe the enemy's attacking him right now. He's saying they're going to be utterly and completely destroyed. And, and, and this is exactly what happens. When, when's the last time you guys ate any Philistine food? Went to a good Philistine, I'll take the Goliath special, everybody, come on. When's the last time you went down to, to Alamo Ranch, which has every restaurant ever, uh, not any good ones, but uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, kidding. You can't even get in there. If you do get in, you can't get back out. Come on, somebody. There's no Hittite food over there. You're like, what's a Hittite? That's a tribe that warred against Israel. There's no Jebusites there. Why? They don't exist anymore because they came up against the, uh, against the people of God and, 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 the, and they were enemies of ancient Israel. And then there's this word here. Selah. Nobody knows what it means. It's a musical term most likely. Meaning, because this is a song. Remember at the very end, it's a song it says. It's a place to rest and reflect most likely. Reflect. Pause. Breathe. Reflect on what we've seen. Reflect on what we've heard. Does that make sense? I think it's a good practice. Even if that's not what it means, I think it's a good practice. And then he says, verse four, there is a river whose streams make what? Make glad or refresh, renew the city of God, which is Jerusalem, the the holy habitation of the Most High. Verse five, for God is in the midst of her, of the city, she shall not be moved. Though the mountains move, though the earth sways, 
though the, the oceans roar, not so the city of God. God will help her, the city, when morning dawns. Now, verse, the f- verse four is hard to understand, and most people don't really know what it means. There's a lot of educated guesses. Remember, this is a Psalm of Zion, six of them in this category, meant to celebrate the city of Jerusalem. This is one of them. And I want you to notice that in response to the seas that are roaring and the sea that is chaos and the waves and the wind, God says, I'm gonna create another kind of body of water, a river, not chaotic sea. And so from chaos in the waters and the seas to a river whose streams make glad or or refresh the city of God. I was digging trying to understand this passage because there is no actual river that runs through the ancient city of Jerusalem. And I believe it's two things. I believe it's metaphorical, meaning God's always gonna provide. And secondly, I think it's prophetic, meaning there is coming a day where there will be a river. And we're gonna see that in just a second here. It's interesting though, um, how did they get water in Jerusalem? There was a spring in the Kidron Valley nearby called Gihon. And in the reign of King Hezekiah, you can read about it in the Old Testament, in the reign of King Hezekiah, he knew, he felt like the Syrians, which was the, the global empire at the time, was, were going to attack them. So in preparation for that, he had his people take the spring, Gihon, put it underground, I mean, it was underground, but to cap where the water was coming from, to run uh, earthenworks underneath the ground and to come into the city, under the walls of Jerusalem to form a pool called Shalom or Silo or Shiloh. In fact, when you read in the Gospels that Jesus heals a man who was lame for 38 years, he is healed in the waters of Siloam, same pool. Interesting, because so many great things, if you read the Bible, so many amazing things happen in rivers, healings, miracle, supernatural things. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, right? 3,000 people get baptized on the day of Pentecost. Where do they do that? They do it in a river, right? Interesting uh, th- th- things. So, but it's not, just, it's not just that. It's prophetic, meaning there is a time coming when there will be an actual river. And Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, says in Ezekiel 47, he sees it out into the future just like this psalmist does. And here's what he says. He says, on the banks of this river that's coming from Jerusalem, both sides of the river will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Remember that line. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, from the temple of God itself. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for for healing. And then John, the revelator, in Revelation 22, he sees this. This is thousands of years later. He sees a river coming from, from the throne of God himself. And he says, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit, when? Each month, same river, same vision, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Hang on to that. Imagery here, seeing far out into the future in a time that has not happened even now, but will happen, a river that brings life and hope and fruit in every season, every month, leaves don't wither, and it brings a healing, listen, for the nations. The city is Jerusalem, but it's emblematic of not only uh, the place Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, but the people. The, the, it's the city of God 
and the people who live in the city of God are the people uh, of God, and, and now, by virtue of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we become what? We become the people of God, and the psalmist says that God is in the midst of them, her, the city, right? And that city, even though everything around them is shaking and rumbling and chaotic and crazy, it will not be moved. That city will not be moved, right? And he says in verse six, um, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, or, or, or the Lord of glory thunders is what that means, and the earth melts in response. Even when the nations rage and kingdoms totter and, and ultimately fall and cease to exist, which happened before, will happen again, not so God's people. That's the promise here because God's presence, he says, is within her. And then we get to the chorus of this song, which gets refrained again in verse 11. He says, the Lord of hosts is what? With us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. Same word as refuge, but this time it doesn't mean shelter. It means an inaccessibly high place, a fortress that God in moments of crisis will lift us up where no harm can come to us. And then the word again, Selah. Our God is a very present help in time of trouble, and the Lord of hosts is what? Is with us. And not just with us, he is in us and he is for us. So when Isaiah says in three places in his, his text that, that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, the psalmist is here saying it again and, and it becomes this chorus which he repeats in verse 11 and it's just the psalmist right in the middle of the, of, the, of, the, of the psalm reminding the people who are in chaos, who are in trouble, who have major things happening, God is with us. Right? Don't forget that. Lord of hosts, which means technically Lord of armies. Right? Yahweh Sabaoth, which is one of the, one of the words, the, uh, one of the names of God, that he is the commander, not of just the angel armies, which is often how it's translated, but he is the, the host of all of the armies uh, on earth and all angels and all people and all of the created beings. He is the Lord over all of that and he is with us, everybody. Right? And greater is he that is what? Within us than he or, or them that, that are in the world. Can I get a good amen from somebody, right? And you can see, you can see why the psalmist is so confident despite what is happening uh, uh, around him. And, and notice this phrase, the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, sometimes, so, so the God of Israel and the God of Jacob, Jacob and Israel, same guy two different names because they had two different seasons of life. So sometimes when you see the phrase the God of Jacob as opposed to the God of Israel, they're, they're interchangeable. They're both used two to 300 times each. It's a pretty significant difference implied, not every time, but sometimes. Jacob is one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, and there's Jacob, yes? And the, the nation of Israel is ultimately named after Jacob because his name becomes Israel. Now, Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. And he lived up to both of those names in the first half of his life. He was, his life was marked by strife and deception and intrigue. He has a, 
encounter with God where he wrestles with God, which is part of what that song was about right there, at the Brook Penuel, and he gets his name changed there uh, to Israel, which means prince uh, uh, of God or power with God. And, 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 and that phrase, God of Israel, is often used when the nation is blessed, when it's doing well, when they're, they're doing the right things. But the God of Jacob is used when the nation is in need or in trouble or disobedient as Jacob often was in his first half. The use of the phrase, the God of Jacob, is, is a grace-filled phrase. That he's the God of someone even like Jacob, who early on was not the best guy, shady in the character department, but, but because he ultimately puts his faith and his trust in God, he becomes a patriarch, a father of the faith, the God of Jacob, the God of the people who don't always get it right. The God of people, the people who think, I've done too many bad things for God to ever use my life. Do you see the, fra- the grace in that phrase, God of Jacob? Could have easily said God of Israel. I- if you think that you've messed up your life too much for God to do great things to your life, you haven't yet come to know the God of Jacob. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God who gives grace even to someone like Jacob, even to someone like Danny. In spite of what I've done wrong in my life, he's still my God who is my refuge and my strength. And even for Danny, he is a very present help in time of trouble. The God of Jacob. I love this phrase and this verse so much because number one, he's the Lord of hosts, of the countless uncountable, massive of humanity and created beings. He's the God of them, but he's also the God of Jacob, the God of one. He's the God who has the global picture, the, the universal picture in mind, but he's the God who knows the details of your life. He's the God of Danny. Come on, he's the God of Peter. Come on, he's the God of Jamal. He's the, say that with me. He, say your name, God, God of, say your name. He's your God. He's the God of the vast host, but he's your God as well. And then he says in verse eight, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. It's like, it's like you, ever, you ever get into a fight when you're a kid? Because I know you would never do that as an adult. You've grown up now. But, and, but when you're a kid and you're like, well, you better see the other guy. Right, like they're going, dude, what happened? Oh, you should see the other guy, right? This is what's going on a little bit here. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the, quote, end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots, the war wagons with fire. Prophetic again, prophetic again. He sang it as an imperative, come and see, come behold the works of the Lord. He's talking about a time when God will make all wars cease. And and he says to the ends of the earth, meaning in every corner of the earth, there will come a time where there is no conflict. There's only peace. And he says, and to the ends of the earth, meaning when the end of the world, the end of the age comes. This is when this will happen. He will break all the weapons of warfare and the powers of the nations that wield them. When all is said and done, there will be total peace and his kingdom of righteousness and peace will usher in fully and finally and everything that rises up against God's people and God, and, and God himself will be destroyed. Why? Because God is in her and no one's going to destroy God. 
But this is also a warning. It's not only a foretelling of what will come and what will happen, but it's also a warning to those who will not follow him. And, 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 and namely the people who were attacking Israel at that time. He, he's saying he's brought great, desola- great desolations on meaning those who will never bow the knee to Jesus in this life, they're doomed for destruction. Well, that's mean and nasty and ugly, Danny. You shouldn't say things like that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I don't want that. I'm just telling you what it says. And he's saying to the nation which is under siege by those who don't believe that there's coming a time when these people will reap what they have sown and it will not be pretty. And this is a word to us now. We have this time to give our hearts and our lives fully to the risen Jesus, to say yes, to make him Lord of our life, to the forgiver of our sins, but there will come a time that that opportunity will pass. And listen, I have to say this that our sense of confidence that the the psalmist has, our sense of security and refuge in him will only be as strong as our knowledge, as our relationship with who he is and what he's done and what he is able to do. To the extent that you come to know this God, to the extent is to the extent that you'll experience the confidence that the psalmist has, right? So then the more that you and I, here's the takeaway, the more than you and I focus on the promises of God and the power of God, the more you, you and I experience the presence of God, the more we will find the comfort and the confidence we ha- that he has to make his way through the ungetthroughable things in life. And then the seminal verse of this psalm comes now, and a new speaker is introduced. The psalmist has been talking about God, but now God himself comes in and lends his voice and says, be still and know that I am God. Two commands, two imperatives, be still and know. The first is a call, has been always used as a call to be contemplative, to contemplate the works of the Lord, to the greatness of our God, and I like it for that, but the actual translation is cease striving. In fact, NASB, which is a translation uh, of the Bible, says cease striving and know that I am God. In other words, stop fighting. Stop trying to work against me, right? The word of God, right? Stop the opposition to what I want to do in your life and this world. It it has this sense of, of somebody like this, drop your hands. Drop your hands and stop trying to do my work for me and be still so 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 when when I see the greatness and the glory and the presence and the power and I and I and I can envision what the psalmist sees that God is going to be exalted and he's going to do great things that there there is a sense that I would just drop my hands and go oh wow I, I surrender from this I surrender God be, be still is two different commands. First, it's shh, get small, get still, get quiet, stop hurrying and scurrying and striving. And then it's, secondly, it's command. Like, stop the striving and stop the, the, the strife. Just clothes Clothe your various mouths and listen and trust that I'm God in the same way that Jesus commanded the winds and the waves in the gospel when he says, peace, 
be still. And they were still immediately. Stop striving with one another. Stop all the fighting and posturing and yelling that is going on in our world right now, which is helping no one, everybody. Come on, just be honest. It's not helping. You're not going to convince somebody on Facebook by yelling at them. Come on, everybody. Cease striving and trust that I am God. And, and, and what that means is trust that I am in control of, of the outcomes. Does it matter what it looks like right now? I will have my way in the earth that I created and I will have a people who bend their knees and surrender to me in this life and love me and trust me and run to me in tr- in, as a shelter and as a refuge and strength. Be still and know that I am God. And he says, and I will be exalted among the heavens and I will be exalted in the earth. He repeats himself, doubling down, this referring to the time when Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all of the anti-God ways that are growing by the moment in our world, there will come a day and soon, I believe, where all the nations, whether they want to or whether they don't, will exalt God and no one will be able to resist in that moment because you remember verse six, he utters his voice and the earth melts. It means that the Lord of glory one day will thunder his voice and everybody will not have any choice but to fall to their knees and begin to confess to cry out loud Jesus Christ is Lord and that means all the doubters and all the haters and all the mockers and all the dividers and everyone who cut and paste God's word and everybody who argued with God who made fun of God who mocked his people everyone will melt meaning bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord of all. The text is saying that there will come a time when all the world will see the supremacy of our God and his inevitable triumph over all of the nations and the coming of his glorious kingdom of righteousness and and peace where war cease and the weapons of war are destroyed. But the impact for us now, because that hasn't happened yet, but the impact of all of that now, that awesome reality will not hit you, will not hit me unless we become still and quiet before the Lord. God speaks in the stillness. God whispers In the silence, he reveals himself, not in the noise, not in the chaos. And if you want your life to be significant, and I know that you do, and I know I do, we gotta stop the hurrying and scurrying and running, and we gotta stop the the plague that is restlessness inside of the human heart, and turn off the televisions and the radios for the kids who don't know what those are, turn off the phones, right, and and get alone and be quiet, and let the massive realities of the lostness of this world, people headed for a Christless eternity, and the God who loves them so very much. Let that change our lives. Be still, my soul. Stop running. Stop ruminating. Just relax in the presence of God. Breathe. And know that He is God. And He's bigger than your wildest imaginations of Him. 
and his power is limitless. And his, his wonder-working power is limitless on your behalf. Just be still and let that hit you. Let it fill your heart and let it fill this room and let it break out into our community and break out into our city and break out in our nation and break out in the world and let it fill the, the, the universe and the heavens that God will be exalted above all. There's a day that all of this will come to pass, but that day isn't come yet. So today in your life, the earth may feel like it's moving beneath your feet and the waters of chaos are coming up against your life. And what do we do in those moments, Danny? Same thing the psalmist did. Be still and run to the refuge and the strength of a very present God who brings help grace and strength and peace in times of trouble. Stop all your restless worrying and striving and be still and trust yourself and trust your heartaches and trust your fears and trust your troubles and your relationships and your sins to the God who is the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob, the God of grace. And he ends with that confident chorus we sang in verse seven. Say it with me now. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your word find good ground to the restless heart, to the wandering heart, to the worried heart, to the heart that is always arguing and striving and trying to be something when you've already made them something, I pray that in the quietness and the stillness of this space, this moment, that you would be our refuge and you would be the strength that we do not have on our own. God, that your spirit would invade our hearts to the extent that we know that you are very present help. Help us be still. Help us come to know the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. Help us to experience the God who is the God of just one of us who sees us, who is proven, very proven. Help us come to know you, God. Could you just say Jesus with me? Come on, say that. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, into my heart, into my storm, into my trouble, into my trial. Come. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, for your great love, your great mercy. How 
you love us and how we love you. And we give all praise and all glory and all honor to the only wise God, to the God of magnificence and power, the God of angel armies, the God who rules over heaven and earth. We give all glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, clap your hands, would you? Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.